This morning, we're looking at a son who rebelled against his father, was estranged from his dad, and raised up an army to take the throne. It's the true story of David's son, Absalom. So if you would, please stand for reading of God's word. Second Samuel, I'll begin reading with chapter 15. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is of such of such a tribe of an Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were a judge in the land, then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. Whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived at Geshur at Aram, saying, if the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, go in peace. He arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men for Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Hethithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, Gilead. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Chapter 18, verse 6. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread all over the face of the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved, went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you? O Absalom, my son, my son. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Our oldest daughter's first word was God. Now, yeah, I know, I'm a pastor. She's a pastor's kid. But we really can't take credit for it, you see. 
we were just listening to music, in particular one song by Sander McCracken over and over and over again in our house. And the song goes like this, who heard Daniel when he prayed? Who helped him when he was afraid? And then kids yell out God. And so she was just yelling with them. And that was her first word. Her second word was habitat. (laughs) Sesame Street really has credit for that one. But her third word, we can take credit for. Her third word was no. (laughs) And really all our children, and I'm sure all of your children, know that word well. No. 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 I'll never forget my wife and I trying to figure out, or where on earth did she learn that word? Like, is this something that's just innate in us that we just blur out? Like, where did she learn? And it wasn't until this moment when she was pulling out all of the clothes out of her drawer, and we looked at her, we said, no. And then suddenly we realized she learned it from us. And in that moment, I think we felt what it means to be powerless as parents. Because how on earth are you supposed to instruct a child and tell them no if all they're going to do is learn how to say no right back to you? You see, from a very young age, we learn what it means to rebel against those in authority over us. And that's true for you as parents, if you're a parent this morning, you see it in your kids. You see them if they're very young or perhaps you see it as they've grown older, what it means to have a child who rebels. Because here's the deal. Every child is leading a small rebellion against their parents. But if you're not a parent this morning, you were once a child. And the truth is never, none of us really ever truly grow up. We know what it means to rebel. In the beginning, we rebel against our parents. And then we rebel against teachers. As we grow up now as adults, we learn what it means to rebel against our bosses. And yes, we even learn what it means to rebel against God himself. The question for us this morning is where does this heart of rebellion come from? Are we just seeking to be defiant or is there something far deeper? What we'll see this morning is in this rebel son named Absalom. We will see that there's a much deeper motive to our rebel hearts. The reason why we rebel against authority and ultimately the reason why we rebel against God. But we'll also see that God has a heart for rebels like you and like me. The first reason that I think we rebel is this, we long for approval. Verse one, we're told that Absalom got himself a chariot. Now who is Absalom? Absalom was one of King David's sons. And what you need to know is at this point in 2 Samuel is that David's family life is complete and utter failure. It's a mess. I don't know what kind of mess and brokenness that's in your family, but I want you to hear what has just happened. Absalom 
has killed his brother because his brother forced himself on his sister. That is a complete mess. It's evil wreaking havoc on a family. If you were with us last week, Mark preached on how Nathan the prophet confronted David over his sin with Bathsheba. And as Nathan came to David, he said, why have you despised the word of the Lord? But then he made David a promise. It was a curse. The consequences of David's sin. He said, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And that is exactly what is happening. Absalom had been estranged from his father. And now he's he's coming back into the presence of the king. He's got himself a chariot and horses, and he has 50 men to run before him wherever he goes. What is he doing? Absalom got himself an entourage. He's rolling in from town to town with a posse. He wants to look like he's important. He wants everybody to think that he has what it takes to be a better king than his father. But all of it is for the sake of appearance. And deep down, there is absolutely no substance. What I want you to see is the reason Absalom is doing this is not just for the sake of defiance. But you see, Absalom began to question after all that he had done, all that he had contributed to in the evil of his own family, he began to question the approval of his father. He began to believe that his father, King David, did not like him, did not love him, did not approve of him. And so he did what all of us do. He sought approval from everyone else. My friends, what I want you to see this morning is the reason why we rebel against God is not simply because we want to just be contrary or blurt out the word no. The reason why we rebel against God is because we are seeking approval in something else. The moment we begin to question God's approval of us, we seek it in other people. This is exactly what Absalom is doing. Rebelling against his father, we're told, verse 2, that he used to rise early. He was committed. He stood beside the gate, and this is what he would do. If you had a complaint before the king, he would stop you. And he would say, why don't you tell me your complaint first? Then he would publicly criticize his father, the king. And then he would say, if I were judge, if I were the king, you would get justice. In one move, he's criticizing his father king, and he's saying that he would do it better without ever accomplishing anything at all. He's saying, Absalom, it was all just outward, all appearance. We're told that he was a good-looking, handsome man with long, flowing hair. He was strong, he was able, and he was actively trying to win the approval of others. And so verse 6, 
we're told that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. I think that word is very important, stole. In other words, his father, King David, how did he get the approval of Israel? Well, God gave it to him. And not only did God give it to him, but through all that then David did in his calling as king, he earned it. Absalom? No, he did it the way we do it today. He stole it. He stole it. He did everything he could in his power to look like a king and to look like he deserved the approval and praise of man. But deep down on the inside, he was ethically and morally bankrupt. Friends, we're no different. How often do we seek the approval of others, longing for it so deeply in our hearts that we will stop at nothing, even including against rebelling against God. And we will work at building up a facade an image that we think might be worthy of their praise. Brennan Manning, in a book called Abba's Child, calls this the imposter. He says all of us learn to do this. For him, he was eight years old. Manning says, when when I was eight, the imposter or a false self was born as a defense against pain. And the imposter within began to whisper Don't ever be your real self because nobody likes you as you are. Invent a new self that everybody will admire. See, every one of us has an imposter, a facade, an image that we project, hoping that it will somehow win the approval of others while deep down in our hearts we are breaking apart consumed with fear of what others think and consumed with a silent rebellion against the only one who can truly love us and give us the approval that we so desperately desire. This morning, if you find yourself longing for approval, I want you to know that the only approval that you will ever find that will truly satisfy the longing of your soul is the approval of your Father in heaven who has given you his only son. And if you believe in him as he looks down on you, he sees not your sin, but he sees the mercy of the cross and he says, well done. I approve, well done, good and faithful servant. But you see, approval is not the only reason why we rebel. The second reason why we rebel is because we want control. Verse 7, we're told that at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord. What you need to know is that for four years, Absalom has been quietly planning a coup. He's not the only one who wants to rebel, but he's raising up an army in rebellion against his father, the king. He's planning a conspiracy. And so he asked for David's blessing that he could go to Hebron. 
And then he takes 200 people with him. And while there, he plants in this crowd of 200 people a handful of men who would shout out, Absalom is the king at Hebron. Absalom is the king. It's conspiracy. It's deception. Absalom wants control. Brothers and sisters, isn't that true of us as well? I gotta be honest with you, this one stings me perhaps more than the others. Because my most consistent sin is the sin of constantly grasping at control. I wonder if it's yours too. There's a great country song. I don't know if you're a Carrie Underwood fan. Jesus, take the wheel. You know the one? Believe it or not, it won a Grammy. Jesus, take the will. I've always inwardly kind of chuckled at that song, not just because it's cheesy, and it is. Listen, I'm, I can't, I've not written a Grammy, okay, so. But because I think in just really a phrase, it so poignantly points out how hard this is for us. I mean, I just want you to imagine, take this song literally. Can you imagine what it would be like to after the end of a huge wreck, the officer comes up behind your car and says, what happened? And he said, well, I let Jesus take the wheel. I just kind of let go. And the point is this, that we recognize that how hard is it for us to really let God have control of our lives? We realize just how absurd that feels to us, as if you're driving 70 down Central and you let go of the wheel of a car. But that's what it feels like for us. And so we buy into this lie that if, if we were in control, if we were in charge, if we were the one who were constantly grasping at the wheel, that we could do it better. But the truth is, control is just an illusion. And however much you think that you might be in control or want to be control, whether you submit to the authority of God as your king or not, he is king. And he is in control. And this was true for Absalom. Though he raised up a conspiracy and a rebellion against his father, God had not called him to be king. And so when David learns that his most trusted advisor, Ahithophel, also joined in the conspiracy, he wept. He wept over his rebel son, Absalom. He wept over this conspiracy, and he wept over Ahithophel, and then he prayed a prayer. He prayed that God would turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. The last thing we're going to see this morning the reason we rebel is because we have an insatiable appetite for more. When was the last time that you were truly content? When was the last time that you didn't want seconds? Like a child getting dessert and constantly saying, I want more, more, more. So often we want more than what God has given us. G.K. Chesterton once said that there's two ways to get enough. 
One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Absalom wanted more and more and more. It wasn't enough that he had the approval and praise of Israel. It wasn't enough that he was called king at Hebron. No, he wanted to be king over all Israel. And so he gathered his advisors, these advisors who used to give counsel to David, Ahithophel. He goes to him first. He says, what should we do? How can I get more? And Ahithophel says, let me go and assassinate David. I'll assassinate him in the night. I will come upon him when he is weary and discouraged and throw him into panic, and I will strike down only the king. But then Absalom turns to another advisor, an advisor named Hushai. What he doesn't know is that Hushai is still loyal to David. He's there as a spy. And Hushai says, this counsel's no good. No, you need to fight your father, David, man to man, army against army. Don't go and just take his life only. No, go and defeat his army altogether. And God gives Absalom up, own to his own lustful appetite for more. We're told Verse 14, that the Lord ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel and that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Brothers and sisters, friends, our insatiable appetite for more only leads to destruction. And the greatest of judgment that God could give to us is to give us up, up to our own selfish and sinful desires. And so Absalom decides to go after David's army head to head, and they are completely decimated. Chapter 18, verse 8, tells us that the battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. And this was true for Absalom. We're told that as his army is being defeated, Absalom is riding a mule. And as he's riding this mule, his long hair gets caught in a tree. It gets wrapped around this tree branch, and the mule keeps going. And now he's hanging stuck in a tree by his hair. You cannot make this up. (laughs) And there, stuck in a tree by the vanity of his hair, he's surrounded and put to death. And with Absalom's death, the rebellion dies with him. But the story doesn't end there. As David, the king, receives word that the rebellion is put down, that he has now been restored to the throne over Israel as the true king, David does what any father would do. He doesn't ask about the army. He doesn't ask about strategy of what to do next as the king. He says, what's happened to my son? What news do you have of my son? And when he hears that his son has died, even after all that his son has done, after all the sin that his son has done against him 
and against God after his son leads a rebellion against his own army. David cries out in grief. He laments and he says, oh my son, Absalom, my son, my son, would I have died instead of you? I want you to put yourself in David's shoes. The kind of complex pain that he must have been feeling in that moment. The pain of not only losing a child, but recognizing that this child ended his life rebelling against him. After all Absalom had done, after every sin he committed, David still saw him as a father. And my friends, I want you to see that kind of complex pain that God feels for you and me. You see, just like Absalom, we are rebels. And every day we lead a rebellion against our king, the father, and against his kingdom. And yet what you need to remember is though we rebel against him every single day, our God is not only king, but he is our father. And though we rebel against him and deserve death just like Absalom, he still sees us with the love of a father. But there's good news this morning. You see, God, our father, did what David as a father could not do. God died instead of us. God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to be the true and greater David to do what David could not do for Absalom, but to die in our place, to take on our sin, to take on our need for approval, to take on our treasonous grasp at control, to take our lustful appetite for more and to die on the cross in our place. God's own son was crucified for rebels like you and me so that we might become his sons and daughters. And so brothers and sisters, friends, do you see God's approval for you because of Jesus? Do you see that his control is better and it's right and good? Do you see that our desire for more will only be satisfied with the glory and grace of the death and resurrection of the Son. If you don't know him, may you turn to him this morning. May you see that your rebellion is futile and he longs to receive you as a father. If you do know him this morning and yet you still find yourself questioning his goodness, his sovereignty, and his love for you, know this. In love, he sent his son to die for you that you might become his. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We can only say that because of your great love for us. We thank you that though we have rebelled against you and so often continue to rebel, that you did for us what David could not do. 
We thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, died in our place, that he died instead of us. And so, Father, may we turn back to you. May we turn back from our rebellions. And may we see you as our king and as our father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.